0: No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring.
1: This is the small council.
2: back everybody to another episode of Small Council Radio. I do apologize, I'm kind of last second here trying to get everything back. My computer decided to need an update as I was pulling the show up and everything. Uh, I actually had a bunch of stuff pulled up that I wanted to talk about uh, and I have to re-find it all because it uh, closed it all out. Uh, But with With that said, uh, as usual, and definitely a nice change of pace, we have with us, Cyrus, uh, my co-host. Thank you so much for coming on for this episode.
0: What do we say to the Windows update? Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am happy to be here. We've got some interesting things to talk about. I am also a bit disorganized. I am in the middle of a uh, move from the house that I was renting to the house that I recently bought. Uh, so I'm in here. I am surrounded by cardboard boxes. I have my laptop sitting on this tiny-ass table. Uh, but I am ready to do a show.
2: Awesome. Yeah, so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the new uh, sculpts that were released for the Targaryen Hero Box 3 the Baratheon Hero Box 3, Baratheon Hero Box 4, and the, um, I can never say his name, but the Six Skins uh, Free Folk Box, who is a uh, a warg in the books who has, uh, he's called Six Skins because he has six animals uh, that he wargs into, I believe all at, all potentially at once uh, if he wanted to. I can't remember. Um, it's been a while since I listened to that part of the books, but uh all definitely boxes I'm excited for. Uh, I play every faction, so normally um, every unit, I guess, excites me, but uh, yeah, I've mentioned it on the show before, but hero boxes by far are my favorite thing because there's just so much build, uh, list building potential in a single hero box, even if the hero box is just kind of mediocre um, and you know, I've, I would say that even some have been mediocre. Uh, very rarely, but uh, more often than not, they're they're really good and they they add so much to the game. Even if they are mediocre, they still. You know, I'm always excited for them. It, even you know, I would almost even say that when they're seem mediocre on paper, it's it's more of a challenge. Something I'm kind of excited to, you know, open up and just test with and see if I can find some cool thing that, you know, you didn't see initially on paper. Um, You know, that's always kind of the most rewarding thing. Um, I I mean, we know now that he uh, he ended up being really good back in 1.6 and prior, but you know, uh, blackfish on foot, you know, was seen kind of as this uh, bad commander compared to a lot of other commanders. And, you know, I made him work extremely well at uh, bigger events. And, you know, that was always kind of rewarding um, to to see happen. So, uh, you know, we'll kind of, you know, just as a uh, um, disclaimer, we do not have any of the information yet of what everything does. Uh, We literally just have sculpts. So this show is literally just going to be, uh, you know, kind of theory of what they could bring to the faction and go over what characters we know for sure are in the, uh, characters are for sure in the uh, each hero box and, Um, you know what they might do so but that's also why we're kind of also you know once we kind of go over a lot of that stuff that you know we might throw some random uh, random topics in there at you you know just kind of round out the show so with that said uh, Cyrus how are things going with you anything new on the ice and fire front
0: oh uh, well kind of I uh, had spoken in a couple previous shows that I recently bought a really nice Baratheon lot. Uh, It was almost uh, two of everything, some three uh, of everything. It was all painted, all based, all ready to go. The problem was is the delivery uh, professionals, we'll call them, uh, just imagine the scene from Ace Ventura in the beginning where he's handling that package and he's kicking it around and letting it get smashed by the elevator door. This might be for <laughs> just, just uh, the players that are our age or, or thereabouts. Uh, it might be a little bit older for some of the younger folks, but yeah, that's exactly what happened to my package. This thing was absolutely demolished. Uh, fortunately, the vast majority of the models survived, but I do believe about 50 to 60 models had some kind of damage. Uh, we're trying to work it out with the insurance to see if we can get some of that back. But it was kind of disappointing because these models are really good looking. Uh, I was I was really happy how some of them turned out. Some of them have uh, customization on them. There's, uh, there's its own version of, uh, of Riders of High Garden. Uh, before we knew exactly what they were going to be. They don't have the lances, but they look like they would be what the high, riders of Heidergarden would look like. Um, and yeah, it's just really cool. It's just sad that uh, between the UK and here, uh, the delivery folks decided to have a bad day and uh, had a really bad day. Whew, you should have seen this thing. I think I put pictures in the group chat of what this box looks like. Uh, It was torn almost completely open on multiple corners. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I don't have all of the pieces that broken off because they actually fell out of the box because corners were completely ripped off of this box. Uh, But I am excited to get Baratheons on the table. I am tired of getting beaten by them, and I'm planning on doing some beating of my own. So I'll probably be trying them out here uh, in our... uh, our weekly days that we have on Wednesdays, and uh, maybe a couple weekends, just to give them a shot, see if I uh, can run them as well as uh, people have run them against me. Nice,
1: yeah.
2: And you sent those pictures in the group chat, and uh, anyone listening, he is not exaggerating. Uh, I would say it's far worse than the what you saw in Ace Ventura. Uh, you know, it's more like they decided to. Kick it along you know the entire city block before getting to his house um you know it was uh pretty bad,
0: yeah, I have a package for you. Sounds broken, most likely, sir. <laughs> I bet you it was something nice too <laughs> uh you know
2: maybe <laughs> um, so as far as myself uh I am just. Uh, working non-stop at getting this uh, backlog of stuff painted, trying to get it all done before Gen Con. Uh, you know, it's not easy, but uh, we're getting there. Um, though, my new paint scheme, uh, for the, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here yet for anyone listening. Um, I am currently working on my Free Folk and uh, came up with a scheme that I was able to uh, knock out all 72 of my Raiders in two and a half days. Uh, And that's basing 100% painted uh, at a a really nice tabletop standard. You know, one of those uh, paint schemes where you look at it kind of from across the table and it looks really nice. If you were to pick up a little closer, like, okay, this, you know, it it still looks okay. Like, um, but there's definitely not like a lot of like for uh, small detail in there but that was kind of the point i my gray joys are already kind of like that you know where they're just you know i spent like hours on just a single model uh, and so the entire faction takes forever uh, whereas i was like okay free folk just have too many models i'm just got done spending all this time into gray joys i want something fast that looks nice so that was kind of the whole point was you know, I was okay with coming out with something that, you know, just looked nice at a distance. Uh and I'm pretty happy with it. Uh but now I am working on all the characters, my thens and the bone lords chosen. So I'm hoping that um it'll probably take about two and a half days for the equivalence of all that. Um maybe even a little more since the characters I'm gonna put a little extra detail on but uh but we'll see so super excited to get that uh underway and, and done for uh gen con uh anyone not going to gen con or on the fence about it i i would highly recommend going it is an amazing experience there's so much to do there even if you're not qualified you can always buy tickets uh if there are badges for the weekend and go to the last chance qualifier on thursday um, that will be the last chance to get into the tournament. My guess is they'll give out four spots, but I'm sure it'll depend on attendance. Um, but an, a big uh, thing to consider is that I'm sure a lot of the people going to that last chance qualifier are always already going to be qualified. So you have to think that even if there's like 20-ish people at this qualifier, if they're going to give out four spots... Uh, You know, that means that uh, there's a good chance that you can still just do, um, you know, decent and not have to undefeated and still get yourself uh, like you could probably have, you know, you could probably go three and one and have. And even probably have bad tiebreakers uh, and be like one of the bottom three and ones, and possibly still get in. Um, so definitely keep that in mind. That and it's going to be an awesome experience. You're going to be able to meet myself. I believe Cyrus, Brett. Uh, I believe Carlo from Stats is going to be there. Uh, a ton of people. Craig. Um, it'll be an awesome experience to uh, to meet some of you guys. So definitely check that out. And then even if you don't qualify that day, there's so much to do with Gen Con. You can just schedule for that Thursday and then, you know, plan out your uh, Friday, Saturday, and possibly Sunday if you want to stay that long um, for things to do uh, just in case you don't qualify. And if you do qualify, um, you'll have the main event on Friday, and then the top 16 from Friday will go on to play Saturday. And both of those events are free. Uh, for anyone that's qualified. Uh, So definitely check that out. It'll be an amazing time. Uh, That will be in the area uh, just doing some stuff before and after the events. Anyway, with that said, let me pull up on my phone all the uh, good stuff that we'll be talking about. Um, You know, the images obviously doesn't tell you who's who, I believe. Uh, Yep. So I'm going to pull up their descriptions which does tell you some of uh what to expect. So we'll start it off with uh um six skins. Uh six skins if I can find him. There we go. Uh Feramer I don't know. V A R A M Y R. Uh Baramir. six skins. Verimere, there you go. That that makes a little more sense and, you know, a little more coherent. Uh, I promise I have not uh, been drinking. Um, so uh, he, the description is, among the most powerful skin changers beyond the wall, uh, he commands a huge snow bear, three wolves, a shadow cat, and an eagle simultaneously. In battle, he rides astride his great snow bear commanding his various beasts in coordination attacks. Nothing escapes his eagle's gaze nor his shadow cat's patient stalking. Any that approach his person faces savage mulling. One may defeat the individual creatures, but um, Varamyr we'll find more. Um, To face an ordinary skin changer is to square off against a skilled combatant with their creature strength backing them up. To face uh, six skins, one faces an entire unit onto themselves. So, sorry for that little, uh, you know, very terrible uh, reading of the description of six skins, but So that kind of answered my question. He's able to control them all at the same time if he wishes. Um, So I want to end on a positive note. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the very, um, uh, about the one thing that bothers me about this thing is, I should say two. One is that it looks like it just comes with the four models. It has him on top of his snow bear uh, with his eagle perched on his arm. He has uh, one larger base, like a Calvary-sized uh, base, with all three wolves, which is fine. That part, I'm not not big. Uh, it's not a big deal. Then he has another, which has the shadow uh and then he has a fourth model, and only four models. Uh, and it's just an eagle perched on a tree, and this eagle is the same exact sculpt as the eagle from the Skin Changers box. Now. I don't know how the rules, and maybe something will explain it in the rules, and that'll be why like it is the way it is. But it's just weird that he only has one eagle, but yet he has an eagle perched on him, and then he has this eagle. I'm assuming that this eagle, because it's just a replica uh, sculpt of the previous eagle, is just supposed to represent, it's just supposed to be like a signifier of his eagle, and that's why his eagle is also perched on his arm for when his eagle isn't off doing stuff. I don't know, it just seems a little weird to me, um, especially for a box that has three other very unique sculpts that uh, he wouldn't have, like, more of a grand, like, pose. Like, his eagle wouldn't have, like, a a better, uh, more differentiating sculpt. Um, But otherwise, uh, I love the um the pack of wolves and the him riding the the bear the shadow cat i'm a little indifferent about it just looks like a a shaggy house cat and <laughs> maybe that's how <laughs> how it's supposed to look it just does not look menacing or stealthy uh so that i guess bothers me a little but like I said, I wanted to end on a positive note, uh, so I wanted to throw those out there. What, uh, what are you thinking about this guy?
0: So on the shadow cat, I always envisioned those as like panther-like, you know. Uh, just yep. Seeing seeing this one is like, oh wow, okay, that's a shadow cat. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it'll probably <laughs> still maul your face off, but it, it does look rather cute. Um, on the eagle, what? has my attention i can't remember what exactly the base looked like on the skin changer uh eagle but this one looks like it's the size of an infantry base i have a feeling that this is yeah i have a feeling that this is actually supposed to work like uh a uh enemy attachment where i think you put that in an enemy tray and then he can maybe uh have some sort of abilities that interact with that unit uh because it is the same model that he has on his shoulder so maybe it's signifying the eagle going off and scouting that unit over on the other side of the field and you know something like that uh what i think is kind of cool about this and what so many options that could be available for these models he's riding a bear first thing that you think of is the frozen shore uh, bear riders I mean, if he's a commander that can go in that unit and he gives that that unit extra abilities, now we kind of see why they're eight points and uh, they needed to be, uh, because if he's giving the bear riders more abilities, they were going to be absolutely insane. And we don't know what he could do. Maybe he buffs them even more. Uh, So that's an option. He could also have just an attachment instead of, uh, or he could be a commander. He could be just, uh, he could be an attachment or he could be a solo. And each one of those versions could bring these uh extra animals as well. Uh so yeah, it's uh, it was, it's it's going to be interesting to see what exactly he uh brings.
2: Yeah, I my uh like best guess for him is I'm going to throw it out there and say that uh he's a solo. The shadow cats a solo and uh, the pack of wolves are all solos but I'm going to say that he is one activation and that the pack of wolves and the shadow cat are all going to uh, uh, work just like the the current um, bear uh, I would I wouldn't say no. Uh, they're gonna remain. They're gonna work like oh, I'll, I'll rephrase that. They're gonna work just like the boar, um, and that is you know they're going to work off of his activation to you know kind of probably to key in with that uh, description of coordinate to attack. Because depending on these profiles, it could get pretty nasty if he let's say. And then I think the eagle is like you said. It's gonna be something that's uh, every. Um, at the start of each round or something, you're, he's going to send his eagle off to a unit of your choice, anywhere on the battlefield is my guess, and then you're going to get effects any time you do something to that unit. And then he's going to be the activation, which then you can choose the order of when to activate the other two, and that could possibly even be before or after he does his action. Um, there's My guess is there's probably going to be a lot of flexibility in it, um, and uh you know it could probably be pretty uh powerful is my if all, that works all the way uh, all the ways that I think it does um to have the eagle on a unit have him like charge that unit and then have the shadow cat and the pack of wolves uh like flank charge and then now you have just all of these um animals attacking the same unit, uh, you could probably see some pretty nasty uh, combos there, especially if uh, any of the cards that in the current um, uh, tactics deck uh, combo with him, uh, that could be really good too. Um, It could be also really scary that if it is that way, um, things like, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, let me just pull it up, Uh, but things like uh, there's too many nearly auto trigger uh, because they're all going to count as unit is my guess so let's see there's too many when an enemy is performing pack test before rolling dice that enemy suffers minus one to their roll and plus one wound on uh, on a failure for each of your friendly units in short range up to three so it's not like one past the first you just need three so with him the shadow cat and the pack of wolves that is three units, like they could trigger this card by themselves. Or uh, what else? Um, couldn't really do regroup and reform because it's infantry, coordination tax- tactics. is infantry. Um, diversion tactics might work, but you might have better options for that. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Overwhelming assault. Now that one could really, uh, you know... Uh, Depending on what the stats are for these units, that could really combo uh, super well, especially because you get one for each unit engaged with the defender, so you could potentially uh, if it's, let's say you charge with one of the three, charge with the second of the three, and then the third one, you play overwhelming assault, is going to get all three effects. Reroll attack dice, so you could uh, go over a bog or a corpse pile and then still get rerolls. Um, You can get critical blow and then sundering, so it Depending on what uh, what they have, it could get pretty uh, pretty nasty. End of the Sword, um, uh, you'd have to return a infantry unit, so that wouldn't work with them. But the last one, Surrounded and Exposed, is for each friendly unit, in short, beyond the first. So just these three being there, uh, and no other unit in your army, and you'll get at least two tokens uh, from this card. Uh, two condition tokens. So I think these guys will have a lot of, you know, you'll have to really factor, like, some of these other, like, the tactic stack and how much they can kind of bring to it, uh, having so many units, assuming, you know, obviously it does what I'm thinking it
0: might. Yeah. Uh, th- these actually could possibly be activations. Uh, th- there's nothing saying that they couldn't be. Uh, other than the desire to not see more cheap activations in free folk but if he's a commander he could have some ability to actually make these worth points and and uh, have them work almost similar to like how mother of dragons works or maybe he gets a discount and his cards synergize a lot with uh his uh his animals like 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 mother of dragons does or uh they could work like you said, as uh like the boar does or I I I see him being more like direwolves really. Uh, just a, a cheap, maybe a easy to kill unit. And and if they're worth victory points, I mean if you end up taking out Veromere, maybe if you take out Baromere he's worth extra victory points if you've killed all of his beasts. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. It is a shame that we don't have all the details yet, but Uh, whatever it turns out being, I have a feeling it's going to be really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, hopefully we see, uh, see the stuff soon. I mean, that's, that's bad for CMON, but good for us, you know, when, when this stuff gets leaked. Um, but you know, it's still nice to kind of see, get a heads up of what's, uh, what's coming out. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, um. Three activations is a lot uh it it really will come down to if you're obviously having to pay for all of his uh his beasts uh I'm going to uh my best guess is I think he's gonna cost like five points, and I know that sounds like a lot, but I think he's just gonna get all his beasts for free um so uh we'll see uh we'll see how that turns out so. Um, I'm excited for this guy, uh, you know, because the current skin changers are just, I don't know, they're just okay. Really, you're only seeing them in Raiders and not that often. Um, and then Barak, uh, his boar, I just, I still personally have not used it yet. Even at two points, I just, I don't know, thats that's two points that I could, be, you know, fielding so many other things, so many other cool attachments. That and the, the boar has so such little wounds that, you know, I don't know. So uh I'm I'm excited to have some more uh um, what are they called? Uh wargs, uh, or another warg and the potential of him being super good. Uh all right, so uh, next up we'll talk about the one that I probably know the least about, uh, and so I'm going to struggle a little bit, so maybe you can help me with this one. We'll talk about, uh, the Targaryen hero box, uh, and again, just let me pull up the description, um, to kind of see what we're working with here. So for the Targaryen hero box, um, let's see if it has, who's in it,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, I think it has some, but Brett's trying to bother me. Uh, <laughs> he he does that sometimes.
2: <laughs> uh, Miri Mazdur, uh, Durez. I apologize. The Mir- picture Miri is Maz a little Dur. blurry.
0: Yeah, Miri, Miri
2: Mazdur. Uh, um, do you have them? Because I'm really bad at reading. I don't so.
0: <laughs> have the names. I I have some guesses. Uh, so top right if if anyone's looking at the picture as we're describing these top right is probably Mary Mesdour. Uh bottom right is most definitely Quaith. Uh yep. bottom bottom left is uh surely has to be Masande.
2: Yep. Uh
0: now here's one that it it might not be the case but uh Hizdar uh Hizdar Zolorak. I think is the upper left. I don't oh, have no, that for either. certain. That's one two or No, no, no. No, 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 no. The three, middle, the middle, the bottom, four. the bottom center center guy. That's it. That's his دار. That's the guy that I think was trying to marry uh Daenerys. Um and then there was one. There was another guy that they they said I, I always hated the name, but they called him the Shave Pate, whatever the heck that means.
2: Um, <laughs> Mar. Well, they we got Marcellin and Scalhas Mokandak. Uh,
0: yeah, that's the guy. Scalhas uh, so, Mokandak. Yeah. Let's see, and that should be all six. So, uh, so um, who was the Unsullied guy?
2: Um, so we have Quaith, uh, Masande, uh, Miri and Hisdar. Both of them are, uh, aren't, um, the Unsullied guy, Correct. Yeah. Let me just uh punch these into the like wiki.
1: So it's see.
0: it's un it's unlikely that this is another version of Grey Worm because we already have him as a commander and an attachment. I don't think it would be necessary for us to get another version of Grey Worm. But this is a full unsullied uh character. He's in full unsullied armor with a sword. Uh so it's kinda hard to say who that is meant to be. So, um,
2: sh- uh, apologize, everyone. Trying to uh, these names are so out there
0: that
1: yeah. it's
2: hard to like read them. So, uh, uh, Skahaz Mo kandak uh, and as you were saying, he's uh, also known as Shave Pate. Mm-hmm. Um, is a Giskari Noble of the city of Marine. Appears in uh uh D- uh Danny describes him as having an odious face, beetled brow, small eyes with heavy bags beneath them, a big nose dark with black heads, oily skin that looked more yellow than the usual amber of uh Giskari. Um it looks like uh you can find him in a dance with dragons book uh but it, the description says that uh he is one of uh the two new commanders uh let's see if I can find him again um him and Marcellin let me just look up Marcellin real quick uh It's nice to see that you know they kind of tell us uh how many commanders are gonna be in there, mm. Mm-hmm. Of course it's not uh Oh there we go. So he's uh Marcelin is the brother of uh Missandei. Oh, well that explains a little bit. Uh they oh, had so that, two other bro- other brothers. That must
0: that must be him then, because was her wasn't her brother an unsullied?
2: Yep. Both of them oh. entered training as unsullied but one did not survive he was purchased then freed by Danny uh he is nati like his sister mhm so um, so that would be kind of cool to see in there uh call them let's see
1: uh mhm
2: Yeah, it looks like uh he's one of those characters that uh, uh I'm surprised that he is a commander because he doesn't really have any uh significance in the books uh from what I'm reading. Um, like he has I think like two sentences uh or three sentences between two different books. <laughs> Uh, but well, I mean, it is still kind of cool to see a, another Unsullied, uh, commander. I was, so let's just I was the... about
0: to, yeah, I was about to say that the Unsullied do need some help. They, they, they only really work with Grey Worm r- right now. And if, if they get some more options, uh, th- th- that's going to help them out.
2: Yeah, especially cause, uh, you know, Grey Worm, uh, is a, I like Worm a lot as a commander, um, but he, I don't know, uh, with the way his cards work and stuff, it I, know, I guess, long story short, it would just really, be really nice to have another Unsullied commander to kind of add another play style to the Unsullied. Um, who knows, maybe uh, he is supposed to work better with, like, another Unsullied unit, um, uh, like the, the Uncut, or, uh, you know, if they come out with something like that down the line you never know like some of these that's another thing to kind of keep in mind with these hero boxes is that uh sometimes they kind of are a prelude to a unit or units to come out to really make them uh uh you know to really make them uh com- work really well
0: yeah yeah that's uh that's what we're hoping for. As far as the other characters, uh, can imagine Mary Mazdur is going to be an MCU. Uh, she's probably going to do some pretty weird stuff considering what she got up to in the books being a, uh, a, a Meiji, I think that's what they called her, uh, a witch, and uh, end up being one of the main reasons for the fall of Drogo. So maybe if you make your opponent bring her then Drogo dies at the start of the game and then everybody's happy. (laughs) Uh, Quaith, uh, could be an NCU, could be an attachment. Uh, it's interesting to see. She's very, uh, enigmatic. It's hard to say, uh, what exactly she's up to. She's another one of those characters that, uh, that has a very few appearances, fewer appearances in the show than in the book. Um, So kind of curious how that's going to go, and obviously uh, my Sunday uh, probably going to be an NCU. So we would imagine that uh, this box is going to be pretty NCU heavy. Uh, We got two guys that we know are going to be commanders, and then uh, if this is uh, uh, Hisdar, don't imagine him doing much fighting either. So. Uh, some some welcome NCU options for Targaryens, I imagine, coming in this box.
2: Yeah, I would say um, count on just a couple attachments and, you know, two Commanders and then, I don't know, probably three NCUs or so. Um, that would be my guess. Uh, let's see. Pull them back up. I could definitely see uh, two of them being attached. Yeah, two of the top uh, top left and top middle being attachments. Um, then you're looking at, uh, I believe both of them are the commanders as well. So who knows? Because um, I I don't know. I just can't see the other four being um, uh, either attachments or command the command the two commanders they're referring to. So. That'll be interesting. I guess bottom right could be, but thematically, I just don't see how um, uh, how she well, could be. That's Quace, right?
0: Yeah, we don't right. know who she is. We don't know what she wants. It's hard to to have her as a character in a game. It's like, yeah, if she just exists, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say, so uh if she's an ncu that does weird stuff kind of like how Piot pre does uh you know th- that's fine but uh if she's supposed meant to be an attachment and doing combat i mean we don't hear or see her fight in either the show or the book i don't think uh maybe she does negative effects to your opponent maybe she's a a enemy uh attachment possibly uh, maybe she could provide information, you know that sort of thing. I want to scout her, that spy function that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, yeah, possibly. But it, it, again, who knows? We were. This is all speculation. It's fun to to throw the ideas out there, uh, but I'm very anxious to see what they turn out being.
2: Yeah, same. Uh, I I don't know. Like you said, uh, sh- her or even. Um uh what's her face the one, the the chick above her on the sculpts. I could see almost even either of them being uh an enemy attachment possibly uh bottom middle who is he again um uh
0: so I don't know this for sure but I'm pretty sure that is his dart uh Z- Zorlorak Uh, he was courting Daenerys and uh, got close to getting her to agree to marry him to bring peace to Meereen. Uh, That's a guess, again. I'm not entirely sure if that's him or not. But it would make sense if it was, because he was kind of a central uh, figure there and trying to figure things out.
2: So, okay, Um, I pulled him up in the... uh... In the sh- from the show, or I pulled the wiki up and it gave me a picture of him from the show, so I remember him now. Um, a former slave trader from the city of Marine on the coast of Slavers Bay and a scion of the house of Lorac, an ancient and proud line of slavers. Um, so, uh, oh, he's the... Um, is the son of one of the one of the many great masters uh was he the one courting uh I thought that was uh zarozone doxus
0: uh, that was the first one when they first got there. I don't think that was even marine I think that was the uh oh uh, what's the crazy named place um, uh Carth yeah
1: he was yeah.
0: One the okay Karth. Uh, but she turned him down, they left, ended up in Marine, went to free the slaves. He was one of the sons of the the great masters that actually got uh, uh crucified on on the road coming in, the road of pain or whatever they called it. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of history there and uh they were trying to to get things calmed down and if uh Dan, Daenerys had agreed to marry with him, maybe they would have been able to to reunify the the city and all that i can't remember if he ended up being one of the ones that uh was actually behind the harpies or not but yeah that's that's getting deep into the lore that again it's been a while <laughs> since i've gone through the books too but only some of this has been able to cling in my memory
2: Yeah, so with that said, and the way his sculpt looks, and who he is in the story, I can't imagine him being anything but an NCU. But, I mean, anything really is possible. Uh, This is just kind of our best guess. Um, But I'm just trying to decipher what we can expect from this box. And uh, we know for sure two commanders. I'm willing to bet. I can't imagine four NCUs. That's a lot. I would say probably you're looking at three NCU's, um, and then with that said, uh, I don't know, maybe two, three attachments at most, with a potential one or even maybe two enemy attachments. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see uh, uh, how this hero box in particular turns out. All right, so next we will be talking about Baratheon Hero Box Three and uh, that one is the Stannis hero box. Um, I think at this point the easy way to remember is Stannis is going to be evens or sorry, odds, and Runley is going to be evens if they keep going with this uh, theme of 1, 2, 3, 4, etc. Uh, so with hero box 3, um, it's the box out of all four of these that I'm most excited about, and that would just be because Targaryens are kind of low on the list for what I like to play. Um, Six skins is still something pretty cool that I'm interested in, but Stannis has always been my favorite of the two Baratheon uh, loyalties, and Baratheons are pretty high on the list, even though I don't play them that much, unfortunately, because we have so many Baratheon players out here. Um, But with that said, we're looking at... um, let's see what the description is saying uh so you're going to have king stannis uh he's going to be on uh uh mounted so he's going to be a mounted commander as, uh, as my assumption um and then is uh royal uh retainers he's got justin uh Mas- Massery. let me uh delete some of these uh tabs with uh the Targaryen stuff. So I want to type some of these in Justin Massey. So with Justin Massey, we're looking at um is a knight from House Massey and a Queensman. So that'll be really cool. Um he is uh, I'm assuming going to add something to the Queensmen, uh kind of like how you have Andrew, who's uh, the first of the Kingsmen, if I'm not mistaken. Um, then we have Dale Seaworth. Sorry, I'm like saying it to you guys weird because I'm typing it as I say it. Um, he's the eldest son of Davos, Uh and he's captain of the wrath, then we have i lost my place i no sorry guys uh <laughs> and his squire oh man um let's see so and his squire uh, b e y e n you're right there <laughs> No you're not uh,
0: you're not having a stroke on us are you I'm uh,
2: <laughs> squinting to see these names uh uh he's the squire of Stannis, um and he's the son of Gilbert Faring um and it goes on to say uh, stan amongst the most skilled uh commanders so uh, let's just uh Assuming Stannis is probably going to be a mounted commander, this hero box is coming with three commanders. I'm assuming the Squire isn't going to be a commander. So we're going to have Dale Seaworth as a commander, Justin Massey as a commander, and then mounted Stannis. That is a lot for a hero box. I mean, it's usually always, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's almost always two commanders, like every hero box. Um with a couple exceptions having like one there might be like um i think they're the only one i can think of offhand that had three commanders is uh baratheon hero box or sorry um uh, targarian hero box one and that was uh um gray worm Belwas, and who's the last person not Jorah or um, Selmy. There we go. Barristan, Belwas, and Grey Worm. Um, Otherwise, let's see. Two, two, three, two, three. Victorian Theon, Euron. Um, Let's see. I guess I'd take that back a little bit um, because it looks like let's see. You got Asha, uh, the Greyjoy box, I think, came with four heroes. The first one, or four, or not heroes, four uh, commanders. You got Euron, Theon, Balon. So that's pretty crazy. I didn't know if I realized that. Um,
0: yeah, I don't think there's a limit to how many they could, they could make six. They could make six commanders if they wanted to. Uh,
1: yep.
2: Yeah, so I, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, I was completely wrong on that, because now I'm looking at the Baratheon uh, boxes, and if you take away the two commanders from the starter box, you're looking at four and four, if I'm not mistaken. Four uh, Stannis from the Stannis hero box, and four Loras from the Loris hero box. Um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, and it looks like, yeah, I would say it's pretty consistent of uh of three commanders. So I guess uh I guess I stand corrected. Um I think oh there's just a couple factions that didn't have as many. I think free folk, Lannisters, Neutrals. So it's like, you know, half of the factions only get like two and then the other half get like three or four. So but I think part of that also is just trying to catch some of these factions up with the other factions. So anyways. Um, with that said, I, I'm i super excited for, I haven't gone over the rest of them, but to just kind of cover the ones that we've already mentioned, I'm super excited for Davos uh, Seaworth, or sorry, not Davos, Dale Seaworth, um, you know, anyone in the Seaworth family, uh, I like Davos a lot, uh, I just wish his commander was a bit better, um, but his NCU is uh, like super useful, um, I think he's Underrated with what he can turn off, and then his attachment uh, is—you see his attachment everywhere because his attachment is so good with supply aid. But um, his son, I'm assuming, is going to be around the same um, play style with the more of the maneuverability uh, and you know playing into that uh, that you know theme. Um, So. I'll be excited to kind of see what they do with him. I'm hoping they, you know, I'd rather be Davos with the abilities, but I'm hoping to see um, some of the stuff that I would have liked to have seen with Davos uh, kind of implemented with Dale. Uh, What's your thoughts on some of these guys that have been mentioned?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm not too uh, up to, uh, let's see. I was going to say not up to date, but, I I don't really have a whole lot of attachment to those characters, but there is two in this box that I I have a little bit of uh, liking for, and that's Maester Cressen. I think that's uh, the character in the top right. Uh, I really liked his depiction in the books. Uh, They didn't really go into a whole lot of detail in the show, but it just went into how he felt about the way that Stannis was going uh, down the road with, with Melisandre and he, he, he was ballsy. He attempted to, to take out Melisandre. It just didn't work. Uh, she was immune to the poison that, that he tried to give her and uh, ended up dying as a result. But I think it's going to be cool to see him in the game. Uh, you know, maesters typically have uh, some sort of healing properties Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if he brings some healing to Staniside. I know Renly's side has quite a bit of healing, but uh, if he works even anywhere near like uh, Maester Amon does, it'll be a good get for for Baratheon's. And then uh, uh, Patchface. Talk about a crazy model. This model looks insane. He has a gigantic rack of antlers. This this walking stick, uh, this gigantic belly with ornaments and bells and and all sorts of crazy stuff. This is one of the wildest models <laughs> I've seen in this game up until this point. And uh, he could be an NCU. He could be uh, uh, some kind of attachment. It's, it's it's really hard to say what he is meant to do. And and I take back some of my previous uh, uh, comments that you typically only see combatants as uh, as uh, combat unit and uh, combat unit attachments. Uh, That's not necessarily true. I mean, we see attachments like Rickon uh, who has uh, Asha of course to protect him, but I mean, he's out there, he's not a fighter. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every attachment has to be a fighter. So, uh, he could be a friendly attachment to a unit. He <laughs> He's going to be quite disruptive, <laughs> uh, I would imagine. He could have disrupt. That could be exactly what he's there for. Who knows? Uh, but the other thing that I want to talk about is uh, the fact that Baratheons are, in fact, getting a mounted Stannis commander. Uh, Baratheon's getting a lot of love lately. Uh, they the, now they get the two hero boxes when other factions are just getting the one, and they're getting just tons of tons of options. Both Baratheon and Free Folk are getting mounted commanders, and that just makes Lannisters and Greyjoys very sad because they are still without mounted commanders. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be wild to see what Stannis is going to bring. Uh, attach him to what is already a tremendous unit in champions of the stag and just give them more abilities for free. Uh, it just sounds like a ton of fun. I can't wait now, now that I actually <laughs> have now that I actually have Baratheon's, I can say that without as much, uh, without as much scorn and sarcasm. Uh, Cause I'm absolutely going to be running mounted Stannis in a unit of uh, champions of the stag and saying, uh, are you going to enjoy your Song of Ice and Fire experience today? Probably not. Uh, the other attachments, again, <laughs> I could take or, or leave the, the characters themselves. They didn't really stand out to me in the books. I have no real attachment to them at all. Uh, but again, more op- the, 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 these guys are almost on uh, Shira Errol uh, ground with me as far as who's who okay fine yeah they're a character in the book they have a name (laughs) fine they could be in the game more options for baratheon great okay great um but yeah other than that uh the the the, those first three that i mentioned are the ones that i'm most excited to see in the game now
2: yeah i'm uh i'm excited for pretty much all of it uh you know I think uh patch face I'm just gonna constantly refer to as Taserface <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: whenever I play him. Um but I yeah, I could definitely see him going in your own unit as an attachment, but I don't know, with all the bells and stuff on him, I could also definitely see uh uh him going in your enemies unit. Or, you know, you never know. He might also give like taunt or uh um disrupt. I don't know, something, something like goofy, but we'll see, uh, we'll see what he does. I'm I'm not necessarily excited for running him because he's like a cool model, but I'm excited for, you know, the potential of some of his, like what goofy abilities he, he might give. And then like you were saying, uh, um, uh, the maester, if he does any healing, but I think, uh, I don't know if I were to take a stab at it, like a a guess is he's probably going to have something more uh, like hurting your opponent, uh, for the fact that, you know, he went out trying to kill, uh, uh, Melisandre. Uh, he'll probably have some sort of like effect that, you know, hurts your opponent. Um, and then, so to kind of take a a guess at what we're going to look at for, uh, what they're going to bring. So three commanders is my guess, one being mounted. Um, Looks like uh, at least one NCU with the Maester, but who knows, the um, patch face might also be an NCU. You never know. Um, uh, uh, Dale Seaworth could be an NCU. I can't imagine the Squire or uh, the other guy or obviously Stannis on mounts are going to be uh, NCUs. So if I were to uh, take a guess, we're going to have three Commanders, two NCUs, and probably like three attachments, maybe four attachments. Um, so a nice kind of spread there. Um you know, commanders are always like my usually always my favorite thing to come out of a hero box. So just having three new ones for Stannis to choose from is going to be really awesome.
0: Yeah, and uh, we do have Martels uh, coming in the future, and it's hard to imagine them not having some kind of poison mechanic. So if these guys drop at around the same time that Martels hit, they could have some overlap there where Crescent could have a poison mechanic like, uh, the Martels do. So yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting stuff.
2: Yep. All right. Now on to the box I am most excited about for the sculpts because all the sculpts look, look, I mean the sculpts in the other boxes are also awesome. Uh, but it's just something about like the shields and swords and the, just the weapons and, um, the, Baratheon Hero Box 4. That's the Renly Hero Box. Um, As far as Sculpts, it's the one I'm most excited about. Maybe not necessarily the most excited for the rules, but uh, this box is going to give you... It's going to be very similar to uh, the Lannister Hero Box 2, which had Joffrey and his Kingsguard, which gave you eight models and four banner flags. This box is going to give you uh, eight models as well. Um... It might provide banner flags and be a very similar unit, but um, they don't provide us with those flags um, so I can only imagine that they're gonna have a normal infantry tray, and I would only also imagine that they'd have to fill up those four slots with something uh so we'll see uh see what they do with that but um, to kind of uh, go over the Rainbow Guard a bit, so you're looking at Sir Loris Tyrell as the Lord Commander of the Rainbow Guard. You have Sir Robar, uh, Royce, Robar Royce, the red, Lord Bryce Car- uh, Karen, the orange, Sir Emmon Kui, the yellow, Sir Guyand uh, Morrigan, the green, Brian of Tarth, the blue and Sir Parman Crane the purple. Um so to give you a little uh background of how or why it doesn't make a lot of sense that um for one they're missing, you know, one of the colors of the rainbow. I can only imagine that's what uh Loris is supposed to be, but they didn't like the name, so he's like I'm just going to be Lord Commander. Uh-huh. um not only that, but um Uh, Give you a little knowledge, throw some knowledge your way uh, that um, purple is a non-spectral color uh, and can be used to describe any shade of color occurring between red and blue. And that technically the color of the rainbow should be violet, which is a true color and is part of the spectrum of light. And then the color that's missing...
0: We didn't know you were going to be getting some science here in our uh, Game of Thrones podcast, did we?
2: (laughs) Nope, probably did not. I I spent like hours looking this stuff up. I I was like, I lost a lot of sleep. Um, No, no,
0: no. I am on the same wiki of ice and fire as you are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and then the color that's missing is indigo. Indigo is a deep, rich color that is one of seven in the rainbow. But uh, indigo is more, uh, or the, the color indigo is more blue than um, than uh, the other one that I just said. Now I'm having a brain fart. Um, so it's kind of the in-between color of blue and violet. So, like, it's the color right on the spectrum of light, right in between the blue and the violet. And the violet is the one that's often referred to as the purple. Um because uh, the purple, I believe, is more referred to as like the pinkish purple color, um, and indigo is more of the darker purple color. So with that said, it's George R. R. Martin's book. He's allowed to do whatever he wants, you know, but <laughs> just wanted to point that out. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for all of it. I can only imagine that this is going uh, – I mean – I think the safest bet is just to assume it's the same as Joffrey. You're going to have another uh, Renly commander, and then you're going to have uh, one unit of the Rainbow Guard, and then you're going to have seven unit attachments. Or you could possibly only have six, because let's just assume Bran of Tarth is a duplicate uh, because... This is Brienne the Blue, and that's what they named the last one. Which, I mean, I don't know. To me, it would seem really goofy. Name all of these guys, you know, Robert Royce the Red, yada yada the Orange, yada yada the Yellow, and then get to Brienne of Tarth and not call her Brienne the Blue because she already has a Brienne the Blue. Um, So I can I could definitely see Brienne not even having an attachment, just a new sculpt. and then you just get six six attachments, one unit option, and then one commander, which would kind of go opposite of, uh, of Stannis in the sense that Stannis is coming out with three commanders, probably not a lot of attachments, and then a bunch of NCUs. Um, you know, So it maybe that was kind of the point. That and Stannis won't be getting a unit out of his box, whereas Renly will. Uh, so what do you think?
0: It'll well, definitely be fascinating to see. Uh, the Kingsguard for the Lannisters have had quite an up-and-down road. Uh, when they were first revealed, they were pretty wild, but they had some very significant drawbacks. Uh, initially, they were not allowed to heal. They were later buffed to where they were allowed to heal, and they're in that 1.5, 1.6 realm, they were a lot of fun to run, and they won a lot of tournaments. So Joffrey was actually pretty popular uh, in a lot of Asian tournaments, and then uh, he, he didn't get a whole lot of run here in the States. Uh, we, we just couldn't really get around his downsides, but in previous versions, the Kingsguard were excellent, and now they're, they're good. They're not great, but they're good. If that is the type of model that these guys are supposed to follow, but also being in Baratheon with the Baratheon deck, I think they have an opportunity to do better. But if they are going to go on a different type of tangent to what the Kingsgar are currently, like if they're only going to have eight models in a tray, are they going to have banners like like the Baratheon banners? Are they going to have rainbow banners? It's it's hard to say. Are they going to have the same mechanics or are they going to have whole new mechanics? Um. Uh, I have a feeling that it's not going to be a one-for-one copy of the Kingsguard. I think, uh, that did it say in the description that there's going to be a unit?
2: Uh, let me check it real quick.
0: Um,
2: right here, let's see. So whenever commanding units of their own or standing united around King Renly, uh, Brassian in support of his, uh, his claim, the heroes of the Rainbow Guard, uh, comprise some of the most skilled warriors to of the field of war of five kings. Uh, so it kind of alludes to it. Um, I can't imagine why it wouldn't, uh, but it doesn't like outright say this is a unit, but it does, you know whether commanding units of their own or standing united around King Renly. So I'm assuming that means, you know, it's talking about all of the Rainbow Guards. So whether the Rainbow Guard commanding units of their own or surrounding united around King Renly. So I can only imagine that Renly is going to be called King Renly and be a commander. And... uh his rainbow guard unit will only be allowed to be used with king renly i'm assuming um and then you could also run all of them separately in their own units uh which okay. i could definitely i could definitely see this is where um renly's going to be like forced to have the crown as well you know you know they could just and i wouldn't blame them either um simon that is uh if they just completely like copy the king's guard in the sense of uh, it, in everything but abilities if if that makes sense So it'll be renly who if he dies he gives up extra victory points and um uh, which and then um all of his attachments if they if you run them separately they need the crown because it's king renly um in order to trigger their effects Uh, but I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Um, It's, uh, but it's definitely something, like I said, I I wouldn't necessarily blame um, CMON if they did that. It's not like they're duplicating this all over the place. If they duplicated it once for a very similar unit, it wouldn't bother me personally.
0: Um, It does seem a little derivative to me to just do a one for one. Like if it, if it has two ranks and it's seven dice on both ranks with a three armor and a and a five up, and they have iron resolve. That's boring to me. I was actually kind of hoping that it wasn't going to be its own unit. That you have to uh, maybe split it up over two units, where you have multiple attachments in one unit of these guys, and multiple attachments in the other, uh, and not necessarily put them all together. Uh, yeah. If if they do something similar to the Kingsguard, I guess that's fine. Uh, again, if they're doing the banners as well, what are the banners going to do? Are they going to do the exact same thing as the Kingsguard? Or are they going to do something different? There's a lot of space to be able to play around with this and a lot of balance considerations to, to, to worry about because the Kingsguard in Lannister's, don't really synergize with the Lannister deck very well. I mean, they don't really work with Panic, uh, except for maybe one banner that gives you Vicious and, I think, a Panic token. It's been a while since i played them. Um, but with this one uh, in, in Baratheon, I mean, the healing mechanics that you can get from uh, Baratheon Conviction, all the tokens that they can throw out, uh you know, final strike oath of duty you know cars like that that are that are in there can can bump up an elite unit especially if it's cheap with if it has downsides is are is Renley's cards going to even have downsides or is this going to be an eight cost unit like the Lannister Honor Guard maybe they won't have the steep discount because of the downsides that Joffrey has it's it's really hard to say. It's, it's, of course, we've said it multiple times this episode. It's all speculation. We have no idea what they're going to be. We're just spitballing ideas. Uh, it, it, it's hard to say. Do you want a cheap unit that has downsides like, uh, like Joffrey, or do you want the unit to be full cost, which you would expect, and have no downsides?
2: Yeah, that would be my best guess is that uh you're probably going to pay a premium for this unit. Um 8 points I think is a fair uh guess. Um and then you're not going to see downsides in his cards, but I still think you're going to see a downside in potentially him giving up victory points because uh you know the death of Renly was pretty uh tragic for the entire cause, much like the death of Joffrey um uh was would have been a a bigger, I guess, um, you know, a bigger issue had he died like in battle uh, and didn't, you know, have a a successor immediately in his place. I would even go on to argue that Renly dying, you know, uh, as we know through the books and the show, everything just fell apart. It was, he died and it was done. His whole entire, everything was done. Whereas, you know, Joffrey died, and it was like, okay, Tommen, come on. So I would argue to say that him giving up two victory points makes a lot more sense than Joffrey, uh, just because uh, he dies and it's, it's over. Um, so I could see that one downside still being there, but it's like you were saying, the downsides on the cards, I I could see them still having to pay the appropriate costs for the unit, Um but not having downsides there, Let's see so um as far as uh the way you might want to paint them, I'm trying to look up images or just anything in the wiki. Uh, the only image I can find shows loris uh Lord Commander with a rainbow cloak um so where is uh all the other ones have a specific color. Uh, and then S- Loras, uh, Lord Commander, does not even have a color. I know I was saying you would assume that he'd be the one missing color in the rainbow, um, indigo. But uh, it looks like he just doesn't have a color and that his cloak is just a rainbow cloak. Now, with that said, um, you ask yourself, are you going to paint... Um, Oh well, here it shows an image of Robar Royce um, with a rainbow cloak as well. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I thought each one, because of their name, would have a different color uh, of of what it was supposed to be. Now, I was I was thinking that maybe each of them were given a color that was supposed to be similar to what their heraldry was. But that's not necessarily oh, it looks like they're, the
2: case. It looks like their cloaks are, uh, from the images it will give me, their cloaks are uh, all rainbow, and their armor is the color. Like, it's a shiny of the color that they are. So, like, Robo Royce is a rainbow cloak with, like, a red armor. Um, uh, Gu, uh, Gu, I'm so bad with these names. Uh, <laughs> Morrigan uh the green his arm he has a rainbow cloak and his armor is green now granted these might even just be images taking, taken somewhere online from some fan that made them
0: but um let's see so i see the hel- heraldry for all of uh all of these guys uh now Loris, uh his is pretty simple his is the green with the flowers uh Robar Royce is uh kind of a tan with a bunch of dots and runes around the outside edge uh Bryce Karen is yellow with are those oh nightingales, yes, black nightingales on the shield uh Guy Key, yeah, I'm caught up on that name too. We'll just call him Sir <laughs> Emmon, Sir Emin is uh, six yellow flowers on blue uh, for house, his house. Uh, Giard Morgan is a a black crow on a a, kind of a bluish green field. Uh, Brienne, hers is the two yellow suns and the two uh, crescent moons. Uh, That is a house Tarth and Parman Crane is (laughs) Golden Cranes on a Pale Blue. So I thought that maybe each of them were given a color that would be at least similar to what their heraldry is. Not quite, because Sir Emin, (laughs) he's the yellow, but he has a blue shield, and uh, the green has a blue-green shield, and uh yeah, it's it's not quite going to match up if you're trying to go for their heraldry and the color of their cloak what it's supposed to be. Uh Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know. The, your painting options are going to be pretty open if you wanted like uh, okay, I tried to do rainbow cloaks before. I tried to do rainbow cloaks on my warrior sons. My warrior sons are in timeout. They're not allowed to come out of their (laughs) box because I am so ashamed of how these rainbows turned out. I tried three models and I got frustrated, and they looked awful, and they just—I don't play Warrior Sons anymore on the table because I'm too ashamed to bring them out of the box. Uh, You can try to do the rainbow cloaks. Let me tell you, it is a tough ask unless you are extremely skilled and know what you're doing. Uh, you might be better off doing the single color that represents each of these characters' uh, color in the rainbow of the Rainbow Guard. uh, You know, Robar Royce, red, Bryce Karen, orange, that sort of thing. Uh, And then maybe try to match up their heraldry on their shield or or something else to to get something close. Uh, But looking from it here on the wiki, uh, it's it's going to be a mess if you try to do everything accurate, or more accurate, uh, uh, to be more precise, because these colors don't match. I'll tell you that right now. They don't match at all. It could be really <laughs> ugly if you try to do a one-for-one copy on your models.
2: Now, we can only see one shield in the images, like the outside uh, facing of the shield, but it looks like uh they want the extra i'm assuming they did it for everyone uh, and if they did uh kudos to simon that'll be awesome but uh we see um let me go back real quick uh we see stuff uh, there we go um we see Bryce Karen the orange he has he's uh in the middle on the right. Um, and you can see his shield has all of the uh, um, songbirds, uh, or the what are they called? How uh, his his house, Karen of Night Song, has all the birds on uh, sculpted on the shield. Um, so I think they kind of learned from the Kingsguard, you know, how it was so hard to tell all of them apart, so that now, you know, this unit is going to have eight very distinct sculpts and I think they're going to they probably added a, a ton of like heraldry to help you also know them by that too uh, which would be awesome that kind of actually makes me a lot more excited for the unit uh, than than before knowing that you know they're going to be a lot more distinguishable and kind of gives you I mean I, obviously as a unit they're just going to be a bunch of models representing wounds but it still kind of gives you more of a at least me it gives me a lot more connection with them the you know the more i kind of learn about like their their heraldry and which one is which whereas like the king's guard i'm just like uh, i have no like i still to this day have not memorized which king's guard is what that as long as it's not Barristan, or Jamie I just take one that looks cool out of the out of my bin and say okay this is this king's guard um, so but I think if you're good at like you were saying if you're if you're good at the rainbow cloak imagery like doing the all the rainbows on one cloak by all means do that I think the best results if you're a really good painter would be the rainbow cloak and then the armor stained in the color of their uh, uh, that they're given, but that's, that's if you're a good painter, um, or even if you want to try your hand at it, it can't hurt, uh, but, uh, I think the safer bet, like you were saying, is just paint the cape, um, the color that they are, uh, but then, you know, the armor, you could paint the color that they are as well, but that might all just be too much of one color, um. You know, uh, it'll all just really depend. I think uh, there's some really great um, rainbow cloaks for the Warrior Sons that have been done out there. So definitely go check out the main Facebook page and you can go under the image uh, or the photo tab and you could probably find them pretty easily there and kind of give you inspiration on how to. Because I've definitely seen, you know, uh, I would say vertically has easily been the best result, and I think that's also what all the images kind of show, is vertically uh, painting the rainbow instead of horizontally. I have found that doing the horizontal may seem easier, uh, but uh, ends up being harder to uh, to really to look good. So I would just say, you know, it would suck to have to do it, but maybe even buying two boxes of these guys and then just really using, um, or even just buying, uh, or using some extra warrior sons or something, uh, or just some extra models that have similar cloaks and then just like practicing on them. Cause like I said, I think if you're able to pull it off, um, the rainbow cloak with the, the, um, staining the armor in the color in which you know they've been assigned would be the best, um, but overall, so we've talked a lot about like who they are and what they might do as far as like the unit and you know being attachments, one commander, and how to paint them and this and that. This unit I was the most excited about to kind of discuss what uh, and I'll kind of ask the question to you, Cyrus, what do you think they'll actually bring if we were to take these guys? as attachments?
0: Uh, it's definitely a wide variety of possibilities. Uh, there are things that uh, Baratheon do not have access to currently that that's possible these guys could bring. I will tell you, though, that the vast majority of the time that you were speaking there, I was trying to find a pronunciation guide for some of these guys. Too much to ask for a Wiki of Ice and Fire to provide pronunciation guides, but uh, as far as what I was able to figure out... Uh, sir emin kai kind of like guy but with a c sir emin kai Uh, that is the unofficial pronunciation that we're going with for right now it was driving me crazy (laughs) and i was i was looking and trying to find uh some official pronunciation couldn't find one in the time that i had Uh, so (laughs) one of the big things that Baratheon, it's on Baratheon's wish list is for them to gain access to relentless. Now, if they get it on a unit that, or a character attachment similar to Greyjoys, that is probably seen as more fair than the non-character attachments like the watch captain or the unsullied officer uh it could happen. it's going to be just expensive as the other ones are, and if uh, we have you know potentially an upcoming balance patch in the next few months or before the end of the year, uh maybe relentless gets even more expensive. It's hard to say, but I know that that is one thing that's up there. Maybe you it's it would be limited maybe it would be limited relentless where you can only activate it if you control the crown. Uh, that might be a way of uh, mitigating the potential of the ability as well. Uh, None of the characters are known to be uh, panic-based. I think every single one of them are are seen as pretty honorable. So I don't see them coming out with uh, Vicious or Prey on Fear or anything like that where uh, they would uh, be... Primarily panic focused. I see uh, a lot of them maybe uh, revolving around defense, potentially you know shield walls, or maybe they get hardened uh, or some uh, healing effects. Uh, and like you said, each of these attachments might also revolve around owning the crown, like the Kingsguard attachments do. Uh, so those are some things that these guys could bring. Again, it, it's it, it's pretty wide of uh, what they could be. I just hope that there's not just obvious overlap with what the Lannister Kingsguard already do. Like, I don't want to see one of these guys have Sundering and plus one to hit. I don't want them to have, you know, stalwart and healing. I don't want them to have, you know, gives out, weakened, and panicked. I I want I I really want unique abilities back in the game for for certain characters. Now I know you you run out of design space eventually and you have to you reuse things, but I just I just don't want them to be so similar, you know. I want them to stand out. I want them to be unique. So that is my hope for these guys that they bring just a complete, you know, new angle to Uh, what it means to have uh, a Kingsguard type attachment in a completely different faction. Uh, So yeah, that's what I think.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I'm hoping it does have some, some similarity to the Kingsguard in the sense that like they're all tied in to something, but I can only imagine that the only zone that would make sense is the crown, though it would be cool if there was a different zone. I just don't think it would make sense. Um, like, if you control, like, the uh, the letter um, triggers all of their abilities. But like I said, that just wouldn't make as much sense as controlling the crown. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, whatever they do, they're going to you know, they're gonna add a lot of like cool one point effects. Um you know, I'm assuming Loris Tyrell and Brianne, if Brianne has another attachment uh, uh option coming for Baratheon's, will both be like the two pointers, uh similar to uh how um and Selmy and uh Jamie are both the two point attachments in the Kingsguard, and then the other five will all be one pointers, much like the Kingsguard, um, since they're you know not as well known. But uh, yeah, it's it'll be hard to say because I'm sure there's going to be a couple a couple of them that are going to just have generic abilities, and then a couple others that are going to have like unique kind of abilities. But I don't think I think maybe if the the unit itself has a lot of overlap with the uh i don't i personally don't think that the attachments will have overlap with the king scar attachments unless it's just the similarity of needing the crown and nothing else like all the abilities being different but you just need the crown to trigger those uh abilities and make them active um so it'll be interesting to uh, see
0: i'm there there is one thing that is on my wish list for units like this uh, I want units like this that are centered around having to bring a particular commander or a particular attachment to be able to bring the unit, I want them to be immune to expert duelist, because it makes no sense to me about how you can march right up to this unit and kill their king and there's nothing that they can do about it. It makes no, yeah. no sense to me. So Rainbow Guard, King's Guard Unless you're a
2: shadow baby.
0: Yeah. Eddard's Honor Guard. <laughs> uh even even high end units like uh the uh Lannister Honor Guard. You know, if 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 there they supposed to be these guards, you know, there's that are uh, you know, an honor guard that are supposed to protect a high value unit. Uh, you know, the Honor Guard is, is probably a pipe dream, but the uh, Champions of Bone, you know, with Rattle shirt, Uh I would like to see those character units be immune to at least the uh, attachment assassination effect of expert duelists. It makes sense that somebody will die, maybe one of them sacrificing themselves to prevent their, uh, you know, leader for being killed. I just don't like that you can march right up to the King's Guard and kill Joffrey and they'll just stare at you like, Oh, okay. Well he's dead now. Yeah. Never made well, and, never uh, made never made sense to me. And I've actually said it for a long
2: time. My uh the thing I the change to expert duelist I would love to see the most and I, it's been a while actually since I've mentioned this because, you know expert duelist is kind of an older topic, but um, I absolutely hate expert duelist the way it is now, uh, and for much of the similar reasons that you were just explaining, but I think that as far as a commander goes, um, it should just be, you know, and it may sound complicated like explaining it, but I've I've literally written it out. And it would be one very small paragraph that could fit in one of those small little boxes to explain it in the rule book. And you just make expert duelist a keyword. Uh, we all end up memorizing the keywords. And then that way you don't need this huge text box for expert duelist on each card. And then in the rule book, it just says that uh, um, if attempting to essentially, I'll argue to say, assassinate, it's not really a duel, um, if you're attempting to assassinate the commander of your your opponent's commander, that your opponent may uh, choose to decline the duel, but instead suffers D3 wounds. Uh, this way, it's almost as if he's like, uh, no, I'm not fighting you, and then steps back and people jump in front and... X amount of them end up dying uh, in order to protect your commander. Now this could backfire or in the sense that uh, if you only have three wounds left and you roll a three and then the commander dies anyway, that's almost thematic in the sense that the expert duelist got through the people trying to guard him and ended up killing the commander anyways. But it's still I don't know uh, as is it's just so strong, but I understand why like you can't necessarily make it complicated on the card, but like I said, you could easily add this little paragraph to kind of explain what Expert Duelist would do in each scenario, and I think it should just be on a four or better, uh, kill a generic attachment. On a five or better, kill a named attachment, and then if attempting to attack a uh a commander the, you automatically give your commander an out um like I said it sounds like a lot when you explain it but literally if you if you write that down just as like what it does um oh and then the other thing i I would add to it is that if you're attempting to do it to another uh character that also has expert duelist um you roll off whoever wins. Uh, the other person dies. And then if it's a tie, no one dies. They're locked in combat. Um, and you write all this down, and it's, it's almost nothing. Like, sounds like a lot to, to have to explain it, but I, I promise you, if you write all that out, it would add almost nothing to the rule book. And I guarantee you something like that would be super easy to remember. Okay, I need a four or better to kill an attachment, five or better for a named attachment, If it's an expert duelist, we roll off. And if it's a commander, they can choose to, uh, you know, deny the duel and take D3 wounds. That would literally be it. I think that would be super fair. Uh, And it would, you know, take out the scenario with Joffrey. Um, It would take out the scenario with uh, um, this, this unit and so many other things. So, what do you think?
1: Yeah.
0: I I follow you. I I can agree that that does. I'm I'm not entirely sure that uh, that would be implemented. There is uh, maybe not a massive amount of changing, but there is a number of things that would need to be implemented to pull that off. I think a simpler uh, thing that could be done is actually something that was in the game that didn't get enforced. And that was the old line of this model must be the last one removed from this unit. Now, it it stuck with me, and I tried to argue that that line was important, that if it said that, then that model must be in the last spot of your tray, and that must be the last model that must be removed. And you couldn't do things like if you were running Rickon and Asha... You couldn't put Rickon in the second spot and Asha in the first spot, and then if Rickon died before the unit <laughs> died, then you don't get the victory point. I would argue that because Rickon said this model is the last one to be removed, that he must be in the in the final spot. But then Simon came out and said, oh, no, that's just reminder text. I'm like, all text is reminder text. And this, you can't just say that this text doesn't count. But if they went back to actually using that and having it be text that that means this model cannot be removed unless it is the last wound suffered by this unit, then that attachment would be immune to expert dualist effects. So you can actually have that even targeted to certain attachments that you don't want to have, uh, be able to be killed. You could have that applied to the majority of character units or character attachments if if you really wanted to, and just have expert duelist work on the non-character attachments. Uh, there's options if they, if they wanted to go that route, Uh, they've had a few opportunities here lately to do something about expert Duelist, and it hasn't really been addressed. Uh, We would have to wait to see if it does get touched in the next uh, update, which we could expect maybe towards the end of this year, maybe around the same time that the Martels drop, uh, that that there might be a, a balance patch to accommodate them coming into the game. It's hard to say, but we can imagine another one's coming.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping, uh, obviously, sooner rather than later. Um, I'm also hoping that if one's coming, you know, before Gen Con, that it comes with plenty of time before Gen Con drops. That's always kind of just a fear of mine is that, you know, some last-minute drop happens or even, even maybe not like uh, um, rule updates or, you know, ruling uh, updates. But uh, even just like units coming out like the day before a tournament and then someone having the smart, smart idea of, oh, yeah, let's, let's allow this unit that no one has had a chance to play yet except for those that bought them, you know, from somewhere else in the world <laughs> and has had them for like a month that have played countless games with them. And now we're going to allow this unit that, you know, 95% of everyone else have not even faced yet. I don't know, I'm a big stickler about that it's a, a strong topic for me so I'm really hoping that you know if we uh if we get anything it it's at least two weeks prior uh I wouldn't say at least two weeks i would say at least like ten days prior to gen con um but you know, I think we're definitely a little overdue with uh, with an update, and I say that even though they told us every six to 12 months, and we just had that one update, uh, I think like three months ago or so, maybe four by now. Um, but uh, I don't know. It'll even ju- even if it's not an update and it's just an FAQ, um, some ruling uh, clarifications. Like I'd love to see like clarification for Vassal. Um, you know, I currently play uh, Greyjoys as uh, arguably my main faction, and you know, Victarion being my main commander. And not knowing if my own Newt is going to get to use the cards that, in my opinion, were clearly intended to work with him. Um, now, now if they rule it uh, that they don't, then uh, you know that's fine. But at least I'll know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I. I'm excited either way to kind of, you know, see what they, what changes they make.
0: Yeah. An update to the FAQ is sorely needed Uh, there. Like we know there's been some turmoil over there at CMON uh, with some, uh, with, you know, staffing and, and, and whatnot. So we know that their attention maybe isn't fully devoted on things like you know, FAQs and forums and, and the balance. You know, maybe they got bigger fish to fry at the moment, but the past couple of FAQs that we've gotten that uh, important information has kind of been missing from the FAQ. In fact, some rulings in prior versions of the FAQ did not appear again in later FAQs. So we were left to wonder, okay, does that, no longer count anymore? Or was that removed because it's become obvious and didn't need to be in the FAQ anymore? Or was that just a complete mistake that it accidentally got deleted? Uh, A a comprehensive FAQ and rulebook uh, pass just to verify some of the interactions that have come up lately, particularly like you said with Vassal, you know, Gilly. we've been talking about that in our group chat of, uh, you know, how w- is, is she in- intended to work as it being your choice of when she activates or do you have to activate her because all of your units have to activate every round unless an NCU can't activate because the board is full. Uh, so that's, it's, it's that, that type of stuff, we could really use a, a good, you know, comprehensive pass over some of these uh, rules, interactions, and abilities that have kind of uh, stagnated a little bit where we're, we're really forced to, to go with our own interpretations on uh, relying on TO rulings. And with, when you're doing that, you don't know how an interaction is going to work until the day of your tournament. And it's really hard to build your lists. When you don't know how something is going to be ruled. If you're counting on it to go one way and you show up and then the TO is like, Oh no, I think it's supposed to go this way. Even though you disagree with the TO, let's just remind etiquette for any players out there, even if you disagree and you've seen it before that it's been posted in, you know, your favorite, you know, you know, blog site or discord or, or Facebook uh, if the TO rules it, that's the rule. Now, you, can, you need to talk to him later, and maybe he'll apologize if he got it wrong. But trust me, it is not worth sitting there and arguing with your T.O. because you know you're right. The, the, the T.O., when he makes a ruling, even if you think it's wrong, you, you you follow that. But that's why it's important to build your list knowing your interactions ahead of time and when we have situations like this with the FAQ, you know, not being as, you know, comprehensive as we, as we would hope, uh you you just end up having to shelve those units with those questionable interactions because you can't necessarily rely on getting, you know, the favorable ruling every time you bring them. So that that does suck. You know situations like that. It does suck that you might not get to play with something that you really enjoy because you're not confident that you're going to actually be able to use it as you're hoping. Uh, but the, I think that's the biggest thing. I, I you know we've talked about it. We've said it several times. The game, as it is right now, is probably the most balanced that it has been in its life lifespan. So a balance patch may not be as necessary, but a an update to the FAQ that would be most welcome.
2: Yeah, and to kind of um briefly mention about what you were saying, you know, the etiquette of uh with you know, the TO and whatever they rule, you know, whatever they rule is what they rule. They are they are the rule of law, even if they're just like an umpire, even if it's the wrong call, uh it is still their call. Now, with that said, you can politely and appropriately argue your case. Never feel like you can't argue it. Try to point out, you know, this info and that info, and you know, point them to this source and that source. And if they're a good TO, um, they'll, you know, assume, let's assume you are correct. Like if you are the one arguing your case, and let's just assume you are correct, and we all know you're correct, but they're trying to rule against you. You know, politely. Uh, you know, argue your case. And if they're doing their due diligence, I shouldn't say necessarily say if they're a good TO, if they're doing their due diligence as a TO to really look into the matter, because uh, they can always extend your game. Let's say you only have like 90 minutes for your game or some, some uh, games will do uh, um, 120 or 100, somewhere within that range. Uh, they can always give you an extension you know if if it takes an extra 5 minutes to really look through a a scenario especially if it's going to be game changing um like i said they should be doing their due diligence this is also why tos for larger events should avoid playing in the tournament if possible i know we all want to for example, the Illinois qualifier that just happened, I really wanted to play. Even if I couldn't win anything or place or any of that. I just wanted to play. It's always fun to play. But that's also why a TO shouldn't necessarily play. Because then they can really focus on the rulings. Especially if it's a ruling that they can you can go, Okay, I'll look into this right now. Continue with your game if it's possible. Sometimes you'll, you'll need the ruling before you can continue, but uh, this allows the TO to really focus on uh, what they need to look into and kind of take all both sides uh, argument into account and both references that both sides can present to that person. Uh, and so, But the main point I wanted to get at is that never feel like you can't argue your case. Uh, even if the TO's rule is the final word, you know, still argue your case respectfully. Uh, Don't raise your voice, don't, you know, yell at them or, uh, you know, call them names or anything like that. You know, respectfully be like, okay, well, I understand that and, you know, but this uh, this is where I've gotten my interpretation and my ruling. Here's the precedence that has been set from this ability and this is the forum or the post on Facebook. Here's the ruling from, Michael Chennault on the forum that isn't or is, uh, officially recognized. I don't know anymore. (laughs) Um, uh, here's the entry in the FAQ. That is the closest thing we have to resemble this thing that isn't answered. You know, just stuff like that. Never, like I said, never feel like you can't argue your case. Even if like you both say initially say, okay, I think it's this. They say, I think it's this. And they go, uh, well, it sounds like it's that one, and they rule against you. You know, don't be afraid to be like, "Well, can you hear me out for a moment?" and then expand on what it is that you're trying to argue. But the worst thing possible to do is be disrespectful, because um, in the end, like I said, even if they rule it, even if they rule it wrong, that is still their ruling, uh, and, and this happens all the time in. Major sports events and uh, you know lower end tournaments of anything you can think of, but uh, you know, and that's just something that the whoever's TOing or umpiring or just any of that stuff has to live with at the end of the day if they've made the wrong call. But that doesn't change the fact that you still need to be respectful.
0: So, yeah, and uh, from my from my standpoint, what I what I was getting at is after the uh, the TO has made his ruling. Uh, you can absolutely argue your point, but I look at it as uh, your points need to be made uh, you know, prior to the TO's decision. So it works. You know, imagine it like a courtroom, where you one side presents their case, the other side presents their case, and then the TO rules. And once that judge hits that gavel on the counter, you can't say, uh, Judge, no, I think you're wrong. Uh, And here's why. And like, no, you've already had your opportunity to explain what you think. And and now it's time to move on. So that's, that's how I view it. Uh, And continuing to argue your point, even after the TO has given their ruling, Uh, even if you're doing it respectfully, I think is, is, is kind of uh, maybe wasting time that you could be doing, continuing your game. Uh, But anyway, that was just my viewpoint on it. Uh, and and I, the whole, yeah, the whole idea behind it was is you just really want to avoid situations like that. If you have units that that you're not sure if you're always going to get the ruling on, you might end up having to shelve them and go another direction.
2: Agree. I would I would say the only time you're going to be like, uh, you know kind of saying something after the ruling is only if you're if the to gives you a ruling i guess too quickly before you know if you feel like they haven't like you know you just kind of both said your side and then before you're expecting they're just like oh it's that and you're like oh wait a second you know there's Mm -hmm. all these Uh, evidence to support my claim you can kind of go in that route but but i would say yeah if you've already kind of dragged on for like three four five minutes on the ruling and they finally rule on it you know dragging it out further just ends up not looking great um and uh and it's, it's always a tough, uh, touchy subject, especially if you were talking after the fact. Because I've, uh, I've seen this a ton in the Dragon Ball Z card game I used to play. Um, you know, a, a ruling would be called... And then, like after the round's over and the person has lost, or sometimes when they win, but usually after they've lost, they'd come up to the TO or the judge, and then they'd have like all these long, long list of things to trying to show them on their phone on how they were right and the TO was wrong. I mean, to some very, very small extent, that can be okay, but it's so hard to come across and to not come across the wrong way that more often than not just avoiding that in general is uh <laughs> is the best unless it's like you come across as nice as you possibly can and it's like one small thing you need to show them like in an FAQ that you know you like oh man look I, I, this is something that I completely missed uh, when we we're trying to figure out the ruling you know and try to be more about yourself and not blame on them for getting a ruling wrong or potentially wrong because you could still be wrong even after you found this or it could still be ambiguous um, so I don't know. It's definitely uh, something that isn't black and white. It's it's something you have to approach very carefully.
0: Yeah, and and some of that falls on the TO, too. Uh, You've got a fair amount of responsibility running a tournament and providing these rulings. And it's up to you to, be in, uh, to have an open mind to hear both sides of it, especially if it is a disputed case. It's not just a quick question of, hey, how does this interaction work? no, you got a disputed case where one player thinks it's one way and another player thinks it's another way. And you have to pick one of the sides. Uh, You have to be definitive. You know, you can't give your answer like it's Paris Hilton playing chess. It's like, Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it goes here. (laughs) No, you got to say, it's like, okay, I hear you both. Here's how we're going to play it this time. And and this is this is how it's got to be. So you you got to be definitive when you're when you're toing these events. Uh, and if you're wrong, you you can you can apologize, say sorry about that. You know maybe I'll buy you a beer later if you want. But we had to keep the game moving. We couldn't you know dig into that for you know ten fifteen minutes trying to to get it settled. It had to be you know had to be settled at that time. And and that's what and then and just like major league you know umpires that we brought up as an example, they just have to eat it. That they got that one wrong. Sorry, that's kind of how this this game goes sometimes. But yeah, yeah, it's
2: uh, you know, it's definitely an interesting topic. You know, it's it's never easy to kind of have those conversations with the Tos and uh, especially with your opponent there. Uh, you know, sometimes you know you can be having like the best game ever with your opponent, and then something like this can really sour it. I would say definitely approach with uh, you know caution uh, when trying to get a ruling because sometimes it can come off the wrong way to your opponent even if uh, if they feel like you're really trying to rules the lawyer your way into the ruling favor favoring you um, and you know that can be just as bad as like seeing someone try to rules the lawyer you on on the in the actual game itself uh, so. It's definitely, you know, I I definitely glad we kind of touched on this topic because it's it's something that you know I think kind of goes by the wayside sometimes. But that's also the importance of uh, making it very clear of how things how things are going to be run before the tournament actually happens. So I I I'm not perfect, but I sort of pride myself a little bit in you know when I give descriptions of a tournament that I am running, I make it very clear exactly what to expect. Uh, and then even if I think of things after the fact, I make a note and then I make, an, a, bi- I make a big announcement at the start of the tournament. For example, uh, the Illinois qualifier, I made an announcement making sure everyone knew how tiebreakers broke down and how what to expect so that way people weren't... Uh, you know, expecting one way and then it get them, uh, you know, uh, a worse placing because they did something differently. Um, and just things like that. I think, you know, if if you want to be a TO, you really have to, you know, you have to go into it really um, dedicated to make, even if it's a smaller event, you know, eight people or whatever, you really still have to, you know, if, if you want no one If you want to do your best to make sure no one leaves that tournament salty or feeling like they got the short end of the stick, uh, you know, because a lot of the times those things can be avoidable or uh, avoided um, with just being very clear about how rules uh, are going to be enforced. Now, again, that that can be somewhat of a downside because that can lead to like a block of text that someone might not be wanting to read, but, you know that's their choice at that point um and that would be in that case that would be no one's fault but their own um if they just don't want to read uh, all the rule or all the uh, things to clarify now i don't mean you have to make like this big uh like textbook of of things but i mean it might be like a couple paragraphs long um you know just even describing the missions and the how the train is going to work and you know you know just uh, how the tiebreakers will work, how, you know, if, even uh, even the simple stuff. I know this one is probably a lot more common, but when, like, given an itinerary, like, as far as, like, when round one will start and end, uh, when you're going to break for lunch, uh, people really will appreciate a lot of that stuff. And so I guess it's more so talking to the people that TO or just run events, uh, you know, to just keep that stuff in mind.
0: Yeah, communication is really important. You know, giving you know, your players a heads up of what the day is going to entail uh, and, the, and the structure is, is pretty big. Uh, I took a page out of the uh, Nationals from last year for the event that I ran, giving the, uh, the rounds and the game modes ahead of time just as a, as a courtesy. To if, if players wanted to build their lists around what game modes they were going to be facing, they were welcome to. Uh, but yeah, just giving, giving them a little bit of structure and then even throwing out uh, some, some uh, uh, preemptive rulings on some of the more contested interactions uh, can also help as well. Just, you know, it's like this tournament, Gilly is being r- r- ruled as written. And uh, and so is this interaction and that and, and whatnot, you know, whatever the most popular ones would be. So yeah, th- things like that can can go a long way.
2: Yep, agreed. So we are winding down to the end of the show here. Um, so just to make sure that we uh, have time for it, we'll, we'll kind of end on that uh, on that note. I think it was a, a great. Uh, a little extra topic there. In addition to the talking about the units and knowing our luck, um, the units are going to be leaked tomorrow, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs>
2: Could be. but I, I guess, but I guess that just means we'll have another episode to kind of, you know, come uh, refer back to what we talked about for this one and then sure. actually discuss um, uh, what they actually do. But there's so much in these boxes. I doubt we'd be able to do all of it in one episode, but uh, we'll see what we can do with that said. Uh, we'll, Jump into the shout-outs. Um, as always, want to shout-out uh, Sunday Slaughter. Um, amazing battle reports. Definitely check them out on YouTube. And then also, Song of Ice and Fire stats. I know a lot of people already use it, but uh, I think they definitely provide a lot to uh, the community that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, you know, Even if you may have your different opinions about stats and you know the, all the info you can get from there, it's still an amazing tool, Either way, um, you know, just even uh, um, not only stats, but uh, like they have the stat builder um, and just, you know, you can run your tournament through there. So I just want to give the shout outs to there. And then also just keep, uh, you know, keep your local game stores in mind. You know, things are tough right now for everyone. I can only imagine it's, you know, with inflation and everything in the states here. I'm sure it's everywhere in the world, but uh, just from personal um uh, experience here in the States, uh, you know, inflation is pretty crazy. So, you know, keep them in mind when you need to buy some stuff. I know uh, with uh, supply chain issues, you know, it, it can be really tough to get it from them uh, and you may not even have a local near you. Uh, so maybe even just when you buy online, try to f- make sure that it's from a local place, uh, you know, just kind of help these uh, local game stores out. How about you, Cyrus? Do you have any shout outs?
0: Oh, just a couple. Uh, so over at Big Top Gaming, he has been pumping out the content. He's throwing out, what, a half dozen, maybe ten unit breakdowns over the last week. I mean, he has been just shotgunning these things all over YouTube. Uh, definitely check those out. He's, uh, he's doing some good content. Uh, Sunday Slaughter, I think he's getting back into doing uh, Battle Reports again. He's been uh, uh, a little busy. lately but he's been uh, teasing I think he's doing Eric Ironmaker I think he said on Discord I think he's doing an Eric Ironmaker list or uh, he's making an appearance in one of the battle reports that'll be interesting especially the discussion that we had uh, in one of our last episodes about how rough Eric Ironmaker is to run right now Uh, and then we got our events coming up here we got our maintenance tournament coming up here next week and then miniature Palooza in September that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we just got the details uh, set for that. Of uh, We're going to have two tables. One is going to be the Battle of the Wall for the Wildlings and the Night's Watch, and the other one is going to be the Battle of Blackwater. We're going to have two huge thematic games going on, 2v2 on both tables. Uh, it is going to be a hell of a time, I imagine.
2: Awesome. So... With that said, uh, definitely check out all the discords, you know, for uh, a, small, uh, a song of ice and fire, or, sorry, for uh, small council radio and for uh, Sunday Slaughter, we're definitely doing a lot of discussing in there. I think I just posted the Small council radio one in a couple of the uh, Facebook groups, so definitely go check those out. I want to uh, say that I appreciate all of you for listening in. This is the Small Council radio, and it is dismissed.
1: still here. Why?